Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. And it's uh, been way too long since we've had back with us uh, John O'Connor. It's always an honor when we get to have a little bit of his time. Uh, he's a trial lawyer, uh, author of a fascinating book called Postgate. And that is how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat and covered up Washington, uh, Watergate and began what we call today's partisan advocacy journalism. He has also served as a assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States, both in criminal and civil cases. And um, you can go to his website, postgatebook.com, postgatebook.com, and check out both books there, postgatebook.com. John, how are you, friend? Well, great, Perry. It's been a while. Yeah, you're doing okay? I, mean, I was wondering about you the other day with all the stuff going on. Your mind must be going 6,000 miles an hour. <laughs> well, this is crazy, and I tell people they might as well get a good supply of popcorn because this next year is going to be crazy. Oh, gosh. Uh, Whoever thought. Well, listen, let's dive into a couple of these. Um, first of all, as you know, the former president was... Uh, threatened with uh, going to prison for breaking a gag order. What do you think of that one? Well, it's overkill. You know, I mean, you have to balance the fact that he is a presidential candidate after all. And his indictment and his criminal charges are matters of public interest as to which uh, the other people have put an issue. I mean, I think one of the reasons he's been indicted is to disqualify him as a candidate. Now he's not supposed to talk about his indictment. So uh, you have real free speech problems here. Who says that when you get indicted, you shouldn't speak? Now, most criminal lawyers would tell you, tell the defendants to shut up. But this is a different case. This is most defendants uh, are not running for president. Uh, so I think <laughs> I think free speech should reign here. You have a First Amendment. There's no exception in the First Amendment for people who are under indictment. Well, this is interesting. Um, I, you're not going to keep this guy quiet no matter what. <laughs> well, that's another thing. It's just not going to happen anyway. Y yeah. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is uh, two of his former lawyers uh, have pleaded guilty in the Georgia case. Um, I don't know what this development means, and it does it have any bearing on the case? What's your uh, what's your take? I say it's somewhere between uh, nothing to little. Uh, Sidney Powell pled guilty to six misdemeanors. Now that's nothing. A misdemeanor is a spinning on the sidewalk. So it doesn't matter whether it's six or twenty-five. They're misdemeanors, uh, and and it had to do with not having the authority to seek the the voting equipment that they sought to get. As supposedly, they misrepresented their credentials. Uh, it's a fairly minor thing, um, and I, I, I just, I, I don't think that has any bearing on the substance of the case. And I think it's somewhat similar. It's a little more serious. Chesborough, that's Sidney Powell's plea. Chesborough's plea was to a felony. But it had to do with fake electors. He originally ref uh, was offered a racketeering uh, plea, and he turned that down. That might have affected Trump. I'm not so sure his maneuvers 
to try to put forth fake electors. We call, they say fake electors. Uh, nobody in the Trump campaign said that they were the real electors. By very definition, they're trying to challenge the electors that have been put up as being elected, which is what you have to do. You have to have an alternative slate. That's what happened in Hayes and Tilden in 1876. Each side had its slate of electors, and the House was supposed to determine which one was uh, the winner. So... It's kind of a very technical thing, and I thought it was really sort of cheesy, basically, to bring this, excuse the pun, for a guy named Cheeseboro. But it, it was just a, a fairly minor uh, charge. Uh, I don't think it's going to affect anything. Um, I, I'm not even sure that Trump himself was involved in trying to get the so-called fake electors, the uh, alt, I would call them alternative electors, the alternative electors um, uh, considered. I mean, nobody's saying they had to be accepted. They just had to be considered. Um, I guess the, the, the problem here is, and you can answer this, will they be subpoenaed to um, testify in Trump's case? I mean, obviously, they had inside campaign information. Do you think they'll be put on the stand? Well, that's a good question. They promised to cooperate. And I think they could be put on the stand. And the bigger question is, to what extent will their testimony be used to bust the attorney-client privilege? Oh. The attorney-client privilege keeps them from testifying normally because there are lawyers there giving advice to the president and so forth. Now, if the conversation was used to plan a crime, or commit a fraud, then the privilege can be um, considered not available. Uh, in other words, the classic is the lawyer helps the mafia don plan a crime to go kill somebody and how to hide the evidence. You shouldn't be able to get uh, attorney-client privilege for that. This is a little bit different, but nonetheless, they may use, the, the, the prosecutor may try to use these folks to open up testimony about that which has heretofore been uh, privileged. I don't know all the ins and outs uh, because you're gonna get have to get into grand jury testimony, which we haven't seen. So I can't tell which uh, conversations have been sacrosanct so far and which have not been. But that's what the prosecutor's gonna try to do. And if she has a friendly judge, that, that might work. And then you get into conversations. Uh, now, when you get into these conversations, by all accounts, there was some wild, um, <laughs> just some wild uh, free-for-alls in these things. Everybody was yelling and shouting and cursing as to what the proper way to go was, would be. And so uh, <laughs> there's this one one meeting in particular that uh, Cheeseboro was in. So uh that remains to be seen, but that's an issue, Perry. That's just all I can say. It's an issue. And then the second issue is when you get into these conversations, do they really show guilt or do they show people that are, however awkwardly, trying to deal with what they thought was a stolen election? I mean, I've read a couple books on it. There's some terrible facts out there in terms of the integrity of this election, including in Georgia, I might add. And um, 
So uh, people in good faith, they're upset about this. Uh, they're trying to do something about it. They don't know. They're flying blind because this has never happened before. Uh, so I'm not sure if, if you did open these conversations, if they would be so heavily probative of guilt. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure that this is any kind of a death knell for Trump. It is not. Let me put it that way. That's my takeaway. Yeah. It's not really going to have anything to do with anything. So given that particular factor, John, uh, if the court presupposes that the election was fraud free, then they're in a pickle. But if, if, if the court is open to the fact that, hey, wait a minute, everybody was scrambling here and all this needs to be taken under consideration because this is something we've never seen before, right? Well, that's right. Let me give you a statistic. In 2019, 6.4% of mail-in votes were declared in Georgia were declared inadequate or invalid because of formalistic requirements and many of them that had to do with substance uh but you know signatures and so forth and so on in 2020 in fulton county 0.45 percent uh, were uh, in invalidated and I worked it out. It might be, oh, I think it's 0.05% because it's one 128th of what was declared invalid two years earlier. So, in other words, all ballots were allowed in. Mm. So, uh, there is some, there are a lot of things you can point to in this election. Now, Stacey Abrams got this Brad Raffsenberger to, um, uh, to, to, to roll over and to make it almost impossible to invalidate a signature. So you couldn't signature match, really. Uh, so some of the blame goes to him. But there's some real serious issues in Georgia that had come up. And uh, at one point, a judge, Judge Amiro, in a lawsuit, uh, was ready to hand over the ballots to be examined to a private nonprofit. And Raffsenberger came in at the last minute and, and got the judge turned around and said, no, I'll do it. And then Raffsenberger didn't do anything. My mm. point is, there are some serious, serious issues about Georgia voters. Now, okay. do I think that they could have overturned the election? No. But were there serious issues? Yes. Okay. One one other quick question before I take a break. It, it seems odd to me that these lawyers now have been indicted that possibly could position them to cut a deal to testify against their client, right? Right, right. This is not a good precedent. We're going to start indicting lawyers. Wow. Wow. All right. Let me take a quick break. Check out John's uh, website, postgatebook.com. Check out both his books there. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about what's not happening in the U.S. House of Representatives. <laughs> we'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. 
Mark, always a delight to have with us uh, John O'Connor. By the way, check out his website, postgatebook.com, and there you can check out the book Postgate and the sequel there. He's uh, an assistant U.S. attorney there in Northern California, representing the United States, both in criminal and civil cases, retired. Um, certainly value his input, no question about that. Well, John, what a mess in the U.S. House of Representatives not to mention the fact that we're a couple of weeks away where they have to come up with some kind of continuation for a budget. What's your take? Well, it's completely dysfunctional. Um, it all starts with the rump part of the House and the Matt Gates faction that got rid of Kevin McCarthy. That was really silly. Uh, and this is the problem with our system, which is that each representative is supposed to represent his district, and um, it's supposed to be a bit irrational, uh, the people's house, so to speak. Well, the people aren't always rational, and I think in Matt Gates's district, they want the government shut down. And a couple other districts, I think people would like something done, would like the government shut down. And I understand it, by the way. I understand it. I mean, we're overspending. We've got $33 trillion in national debt. I understand it. But then, realistically, what are we going to do about it? We're not going to get anywhere by shutting the government down. I, unfortunately, I think McCarthy was right. I understand the way they feel. But now there's such bad blood. Apparently, Jordan had pulled a fast one on Scalise. And uh, even though the caucus had voted to nominate Scalise, and everyone's supposed to fall in line, Jordan led the group that did not fall in line. In other words, even though they voted for Scalise, uh, uh, even though they agreed to support the winner of the caucus, they did not. And that's where the bad blood started. So I think the only way out of this is very unsatisfactory. I think it's going to end up being some sort of coalition with the Democrats. Uh, and so where does that get us? We're going to get a speaker that is far weaker than Kevin McCarthy. That's where this is headed. And this is what Matt Gates' legacy is going to be. Rather than having a good, solid Republican in there like Kevin McCarthy, who was excellent, or Steve Scalise. And I'm, I'm not against Jim Jordan. I just think Jordan apparently and his forces apparently just got people so upset with him that, that it's uh, he, he's not viable any longer. Uh, yeah. I, like my, I like Jordan myself. I just think he might have uh, stepped on some toes there. But my point is, we're going to end up with some either a rhino Republican or a Democrat, moderate Democrat as the speaker. Isn't there another lesson to learn here that during the numerous uh, votes to get McCarthy to become speaker, they agreed upon to have a call at any moment by one person in Congress that could recall him? And that's when Matt Gates certainly jumped on that. Don't they need to repeal that stupid part of the procedures yeah and i'm not so sure it still applies it applied when he got in uh and and, and hopefully it's still not there but it probably in hindsight it would have been a good idea to hold out on mccarthy and make that make that the place to uh, have your alamo um and maybe uh, if we had done a better job back then if they had done a better job then mccarthy never would have been ousted but he, it was just it was something that I think Gates had planned from the beginning. This one vote thing, he knew that if McCarthy didn't shut down the government, he was going to do that. So he had, he had planned that from day one. Once that one vote uh, deal was uh, struck, 
uh, it was really uh, ultimately curtains for McCarthy. Representative uh, McClintock over the weekend sent a scathing letter to the seven, uh, basically calling the way, I'll read a little line here, it says, Dear wayward colleagues, uh, your letter October 20th in which you graciously offer to martyr yourselves as long as you get what you want in your way is perhaps the most selfless act in American history. The seven were offering to be offered to be censored and put out of the conference as long as they got the vote that they wanted. How damaging is that? Yeah, I mean, it's a stunt. They're pulling stunts, and I agree with McClintock. McClintock has principles. He's an intelligent guy with principles. He's very conservative, and he's uh, not a guy that's playing games. Uh, and that's the problem. You've just got it right there. You've got a good, solid, ideologically pure conservative, and uh, this is the way he's viewing these seven, and I don't think he's wrong. Uh, so now, what is the cause of this? Well, one of the causes of this is, unfortunately, Donald Trump's actions after the election, which really cost, it not only cost us the Senate, it cost us um, uh, the 2022 red wave, which became a pink wave, um, and uh, we didn't get the House that we should have had. And a lot of that is because Donald Trump uh, got involved and probably um, uh, snatched uh, uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, we just we ended up with a, a bare margin in the in the House. Does from your legal perspective does does trump survive all this stuff and still remain the nominee well i think he does and i think one of the things that all these prosecutors have not taken into account is the really good claim you and i have talked about this perry the really good claim is the mar-a-lago the eight counts in mar-a-lago of obstruction and lying mm -hmm. those are counts I, I they are not escapable in my mind However, I don't know that that case is ever going to get to trial in view of all the sprawling indictments in front of those. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he's going to get convicted in D.C. before the election. Probably will get convicted in, in uh, Atlanta, but will certainly get convicted in D.C. Uh, on the January 6th charges, even though I think those are very weak charges. You've got a very strong jury and uh for the prosecution so uh he's gonna get indicted and this is why this makes this such an amazing election because you're probably going to have an indicted uh a convicted candidate running for office i don't see the republicans um electorate uh going away from trump it just, just doesn't look like it's going to happen and uh now what happens now you've got to watch with Trump being indicted and convicted, I'm sorry, he's already indicted. Uh, now, the no labels party may come in and take a big chunk of the electorate, especially if Biden stays in. Biden looks like he's still intent on staying in. I think my fellow uh, Californian here, Gavin Newsom, uh, is licking his chops to come in. Uh, and I think he would win the election, actually, if he came in. But I don't know that Biden's going to let him in. So we have an, an election with two unsatisfactory alternatives, at least to the wide swath of the electorate. Uh, you have a, an enfeebled president who's clearly been a terrible president and is not healthy. Then you have Trump that's um, perhaps a convicted felon. Uh, so... <laughs> 
I think uh, the middle of the electorate, I, I, Joe Lieberman says his polling indicates that if he puts a Republican at the top of the no labels party, they have a viable chance here. And I'm not so sure he's wrong. But that's why I say get out your popcorn, Perry, because this could be one of the most interesting, and that's a very soft word, a very interesting election, the most interesting election in United States history uh, will be coming up. And uh, I know that there's I don't feel real sanguine about it. Let's put it this way. Yeah. One other quick question, John, before I run out of time, you got a new U.S. uh, senator from the state of California. Um, How did that go over when Newsom reached on the outside to get somebody like that? Well, everybody, everyone in every of the three camps are upset with um, Newsom. But I think Newsom acted brilliantly on this one. He couldn't favor any one of the three, um, Porter, Lee, or Schiff. And so what he did was he put in someone who really doesn't have a chance of being elected. Uh, it's a placeholder, and it also, because she is a an anti-abortion uh, activist, I, I think she's a lesbian also. So these check off some boxes, some political boxes for him, and she's just a placeholder. So actually, it's a good move by Newsom. Uh, one of those three is going to win. I think it'll probably be Schiff will win in the general election whenever it's uh, held. Mm. And, uh, uh, so I guess that would be 2024. Uh, so I thought it was a I thought it was a good move by Newsom. He had to. He couldn't pick any one of the three. Yeah. Well, good to see you, friend. This is uh, so interesting. I agree with you. I think uh, there's no solid predictions yet out there. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, We'll have to wait and see how NBC handles this next debate. (laughs) Well, let's see about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is the only viable alternative out there. I think DeSantis won't make it as much as I like the guy. Yeah. So she's the alternative. Let's see how she does. Yeah. Good to see you, friend. Check out his uh, his website, postgatebook.com. Check that out and check out both books. Thanks, John, for your time. Good to see you. Let's stay connected, buddy. Yeah, take care. See you, Pear. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.